Welcome back to Supercharged with me, Anna Geary. I hope you're all having a lovely Sunday evening. We had a brilliant response to last week's show. We covered all things bloating. But plenty of you have been getting in touch after trying out my teeth brushing brain health challenge. There was some carnage in some households, I'm not going to lie. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen back to the challenge on the Radio Player app and take part and let us know. I'm also going to be setting a new challenge for you this week. We will chat with an audiologist later on too about top tips for ear health. So keep listening. See what I did there? Sorry, I apologise. <laughs> Hugh's health stories receive brilliant praise as well. So we're going to take a look at some of the health stories that have been grabbing his attention this week. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, this evening, I want to... I suppose I want to broach a topic that I believe we need to talk more about. And I'll tell you why. I have been training and playing sport for almost 30 years. That kind of gives my age away. But it was at top level for 12 of those years. And even now, I've often wondered what, what it would have been like if I had a greater understanding of my period and the impact that it had, not just on my performance, but on training and on sleep and on nutrition, because it does have an impact. Now, before you go turning the dial or legging it out of the room, just hear me out for a second. I never had conversations with managers or coaches or my parents or even my teammates about periods. And whether we want to admit it or not, there is still a huge stigma attached. So this evening, I just, I want to focus our chat on menstruation and the impact that it has on things like exercise and training and sport for women of all ages. I did a TV documentary two years ago called Why Girls Quit Sport. And one of the first questions that I was asked by the girls wasn't, what sport are we playing? It wasn't, how hard do you want us to train? It was, do we have to wear white shorts? Because there's such an embarrassment and a stress that comes from sport and periods and white shorts. So that's one of the areas we're going to be talking about this evening. And I also did a poll this week on my Instagram and I asked you about periods and over 80% of you said that your period impacted on your ability to exercise and play sport. That's eight out of 10 people. So this is important. And people have been getting in touch. They have been talking about it, which is very encouraging because I do get the sense that people do want to start this conversation. So take a listen. Water retention and different things at that time of the month, you could be up a kg by no fault of your own. But being in a male predominant club, the understanding of the effects of the period on the female body wasn't there. So you used to get the lecture and it was something that I could have gotten help for sooner only I didn't know as people weren't talking about it. When we go out in the field we, we take no notice of that and we just push them as hard as we can to get the best performance out of them and maybe the opposite should be done so we're just very open to getting the best advice we can on all this. So we'll hear a few more of those stories later on and I would love you to get in touch so you can text us on 51551 with your questions or with your own stories or you can email us at supercharged at rte.ie. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Joining me now is Orna Murray, who ran cross-country for Ireland. Welcome to the show, Orna. You're going to tell us your story about how periods affected your own sporting career. Yeah, hi, Anna. Lovely to be here and just so delighted that this conversation is starting to really take off and become into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Um, So my own story would have started as a young person like yourself. I loved all sports uh, when I was a youngster I must have I must have tried um I'd say I'd say a full half of them 
Um, and I played squash internationally under 15 and then under 17 before transitioning to cross country running. Mm-hmm. Um, ran very competitively, would have represented Ireland, went and ran in the States as well. And throughout my career, I never once mentioned the fact that um, I didn't have periods. So wow. I wouldn't have, I, I, I started having them maybe around 13 or 14. But when I started training very competitively, um, around 17 or 18, they just completely stopped. And again, at the time, I just was just like, brilliant. <laughs> this is. <laughs> it's an inconvenience that I don't have to worry about. Yeah. Like most, like most young women would, you know, like I never talked to my peers about it. I never talked to my coach about it. And I think it was because I didn't hear anyone else talking about it. It just wasn't within the norm. It wasn't on anyone's radar. So I didn't know that it was even a thing that should be talked about. Um, And then unfortunately, when I was about 22, 21 or 22, um, some of the, the, I suppose, effects of not having a period started to show. So, um, you know, that was kind of a lot of injuries, a lot of stress fractures. Um, and you know, at quite any point, body. did you, I suppose, make the connection between not having a period and all these injuries starting to happen? Like at any point, were you worried about not having your period? Honestly, Anna, it just wasn't on my radar. I didn't, like, I, I never connected one to the other. Mm-hmm. I guess it was something at the back of my head that I, I felt like I should be having for some reason. But I think the narrative I had was that I was training very hard and it was normal if you were a woman and training very hard to not have your period. Mm-hmm. And did you feel that, I suppose, the confidence um, to approach anybody about it? And ultimately, like, what were the next steps you had to take then to you know, try and, and find a way to get your period back? I guess it, it would have started w- with my mom eventually, yeah. um, that we were both kind of like, oh, I, I suppose this is something uh, we, even just from a personal point of view, as opposed to a performance point of view, yeah. um, it was something we started to look into. But if, when I brought it up, it would have always been pushed off of, oh, you're exercising very hard, that's normal, or you can go on the pill. So they were kind of the two options I was presented okay. with. Um, and what ultimately for people listening that may also have experienced this and losing their period, like what did you have to do to get your period back? <laughs> oh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so I, I would have started working with a nutritionist. Okay. I would have started having conversations, worked with a really good female physio. Um, again, started talking to my friends and ultimately took a step back from competitive sport, Wow! Um, which was a very tough pill to swallow. Yeah, <laughs> um, because I think the, it was, it was the that serious, training, though. That's what you needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because, again, my body was was needed rest, mm-hmm. needed to recover, needed to, I suppose, just uh, take a break from from the competition for a while. And you yeah. took up running again then at the University of Galway. And you started talking to your coach, Matt Lockett, about periods. Like, like, how did you approach that conversation? <laughs> like, honestly, I'm, I'm thinking about my own experience and, and my own male coaches and strength and conditioning coaches. And I would consider myself to be quite an open person. And I, I don't know why, how I would have approached that conversation. Well, let it put it to me this way. Well, no, let me put you to, it to you this way. Yeah. When I had lost so much, mm-hmm. I would have tried anything. Yes. I would have had any conversation like when I realized that this was something that could allow me get back into doing what I love, 
it was it was a no-brainer of course I was going to bring it up of course I was going to have that conversation and I think Matt was so open and so supportive um throughout that process that he was also keen that anything that made my life easier anything that I needed if this is a conversation that I needed to have he was open to working with me on that um yeah and and did you feel um, like a lot of people probably listening to this now, mm-hmm. uh, they have they half of their their fingers in their ears because you know it is a, quite an uncomfortable, sensitive, taboo topic. Did you feel embarrassment because he was a male coach? Like, was it a trust thing? How did you first feel? This is the coach I'm going to talk to this about. Honestly, it wasn't even that conscious. Mm-hmm. I I just think one day I was like, oh, you know. I've just started my period this morning. I'm a little bit low on energy. And he was like, oh, no bother. Do you want to do a longer warm up or how are you? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm kind of grand. I, I just needed to check in about it. And it, it was just a national, a natural progression because we had a great coach. And I suppose I was I was that little bit older mm-hmm. as well, you know, so I, I just didn't care as much. Yeah. And I also just felt like it was important because I was like, I'm just not going to lie about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to pretend to have a tummy ache when really... You know, I, I'm just a bit, I'm mean, a little bit like not low on energy. But yeah, I just was that day. Yeah. And I think it kind of stemmed from that. Well, stay with us there, Orna, because on the line now, I do have Matt Lockett, athletics coach at University of Galway and national endurance coordinator with Athletics Ireland. Matt, welcome to Supercharge. Orna's been speaking about the initial conversation that you first had, talking about periods and, and the importance of them. What was it like as a male coach? to discuss periods perhaps I'm not sure if that was your first open conversation about it but talk to us a little bit about that because we have a lot of strength and conditioning coaches and managers and parents that are that are men that are listening that this is important for them to to be aware of yeah well firstly thanks for having me on and I guess um, probably often as a male you feel very underqualified to be talking about this but I guess as you said there's a lot of male coaches involved with coaching female athletes so mm-hmm. I appreciate the um, platform to talk about it because I guess it is, it is part of the challenge for us. Um, and I guess, I suppose, an endurance coach, I, I kind of believe that the key to getting really fit is a body of consistent work, and you only get that done if you're healthy. And um, I suppose we've, we've come to know that there's a big link both with um, having regular periods and um, nutrition and bony injuries. So I, I was kind of aware of that. So it would be something I'd like, you know what, I'd like to talk to athletes about, but I guess Owen's story is, a li- it's, is quite um, typical in that she was a little bit older, so it's much easier to have that conversation. And, you know, an athlete might be more confident talking to a male coach at 23, 24 than maybe they are at 18, 20, or 21. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and initially there is, and there's still there's some athletes now that are very forthcoming about, will ring up and let me know that they're on the period or they'll discuss it straight away. I suppose the initial reaction as a male coach is the kind of recall in horror. And <laughs> so I don't want to hear about this. But yeah. then, you know, quickly then the brain kicks in and says, well, actually, I, this is great that I know this because, one, it tells me that it's a good indication of health that they're having the, the, the period. And um, also it's I can now plan training and measure performance, taking that into account. So, um, yeah, it's tricky, but... Yeah, it's great to, great to have that conversation. Yeah, as you said, rather have that conversation as tricky as it is than not have that conversation because it's still happening one way or another. And like what way would you approach conversations with other female athletes now? Um, you know, what advice even would you have for other male coaches listening? Um, you know, what you did maybe in, in, in best practice scenario? 
Well, I, I guess coaches. I think we're always um, we're always conscious of safeguarding child protection things. And mm-hmm. as, as male coach, you, naturally, because we're talking about reproductive health, there is a reluctance to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, or, but uh, so that so that is a challenge. So, if if athletes are comfortable enough to say to the coach, it takes some of that. You know the uh, the emphasis on the, being on the coach to yes. approach the topic, and I guess the key, some of the key to that is around education. Um, so I, I think, as Anna said, she wasn't talking about that, talking about it with her peers and her friends and her fellow athletes. So if we can edu- educate the female athlete popu- population, and then we, we need to educate coaches and we need to educate parents, so that it, it is something that's talked about, and then maybe it's easy for everyone to bring it up. Um, yeah. And it's not such a challenge for just for the, for the male coaches. And I suppose if if you are someone listening right now that's in that position, if you're not comfortable speaking about it, then you need someone that works alongside you that is comfortable having that conversation. Yeah, so I, I've, I'm lucky enough in Galway. I have a, an assistant coach, Nolene, who works with me, and she tends to look after the, you know, the 16 to 18 year olds and that are in the club that feed into the group, and 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 is almost a mother figure to some of the female athletes. And I think maybe some of them are more comfortable having that conversation with Nolan at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, like, as a key thing is just to get the general message that um, out there that, as, you know, Orna didn't know that it was a problem not to be having a period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we need that education piece to really get out there. And, and, and at the moment, it's not even out there with the, all the medical uh, practitioners. So it's not uncommon for GPs to give a similar response to Orna had where, or you, you're training hard, you know, it's natural not to have a period, or just give a solution and put, put an athlete on the pill um, to, to, to stimulate what they think as an, as an artificial period, yeah. which we know doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, and I suppose that is the worry about, you know, going on the pill, and we'll, we'll talk about that in, in medical terms a little bit later on, is that then it's hard to identify, is it the pill that's actually causing you to stop having your periods, or is it in fact your training load or your deficiency in energy that's stopping you? So it almost like it could be masking a bigger problem. Yeah, and we, we talk about the nutritionists, so we talk about the uh, female athletes having a, a little advantage over some of the male athletes. Because the male athletes suffer as well from lack of energy deficit as well. But oh, okay, tell me more about this it, now. Well, well if we, uh, so as we've done lots of surveys, and it's not uncommon to find sort of results of over 40, 40% of female athletes been at risk, risk of uh, poor energy availability. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the male athletes tend to be a little bit behind, but, but not, you know, uh, not too far behind, um, and as a, you know, as a result of poor, uh, lack of energy availability, often we look end up with bony injuries and stress stress fractures, etc. Um, whereas the, the female athletes do have that losing your period or becoming irregular can be a, an early warning sign that you might be you're slipping with your nutrition that yeah. the the lads don't have. So maybe it's uh, it's an advantage in one sense. So almost like in some ways, like your period is almost like a feedback mechanism that if it's it's happening, it you know it's it's um it's a healthy thing. So can I ask then, just for for the purposes of balance here, speaking about male athletes, like would there be indicators then when men aren't meeting their energy needs? Is there something for them to look out for? Yeah, well, we talk about even the. I think there's some research showing that um, linking male libido and um, to and loss of their levels of um, reproductive hormones uh, to poor energy availability as well. So 
Um, again, it's a topic you nearly fall off the chair. The, you know, whether the, the, you know what's happened to the lads first thing in the morning um, can be an indication of whether they're um, as in like wealthy to be blunt not. about it, whether or not they get an erection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. So, I know I've, I've seen nutritionists talk to groups about that and nearly fallen off the chair. But I, I guess like like that, it, these are the sort of things we need to become more yeah. comfortable talking about um, because yeah, it's if athletes go down. It can be a vicious spiral um, mm-hmm. when athletes stop um, eating, eating enough to meet their energy needs, and then performance goes with it. And often the response to that is to sometimes is to eat less um, because we can get into spiral into eating disorders and a real a lot of harm really, yeah. both short and long term. And we just just going back then again um, to I suppose um, female athletes. Like, how have your own training methods adapted? Um, taking into account, we'll say energy and energy management and periods. And for you now, learning more about it, what would you say to, you know, other coaches or or female athletes listening about managing that? I, I guess number one is is to if you're going to go somewhere as an athlete and perform, you need to be healthy. So um, it's maybe about using the the period as a barometer of whether you're meeting your energy needs. Now, you need to be careful because there are other, there are other causes where athletes lose the, the period as well. And if that's, you know, it's fully investigated by a medical practitioner, mm-hmm. that, you know, there may be other things behind it as well. So it's not to say not having a period is, is necessary because you're low in energy, but it, in a lot of cases, it is a, a contributing factor. Um, so, yeah, I'd always start from that point of view of be healthy first. And whatever we achieve after that is, is the next step. So sometimes we have to get the balance between that stress and training load and the recovery, nutrition and rest uh, back back on on on, a, on an even keel before we push on and start to look at performance. Brilliant. Well, Matt, stay with us as well because we're going to be talking about this a little bit after our ad break. But before we go to our ad break, you can listen out to some of the voice notes that have been coming in. Hi Anna, Amanda here. I was lucky enough to not miss training due to a bad period. Um, a dip in energy would be all I'd really have and it was pretty manageable. My issue came around weighing in for competition. So with boxing, due to the effects of the period on the female body, water retention and different things at that time of the month you could be up a kg by no fault of your own but being in a male predominant club the understanding of the effects of the period on the female body wasn't there so you used to get the lecture and you knew this competition was coming up and why haven't you done this and you must have done something wrong then you'd be sent on extra runs or to do more exercises to drop the weight which wouldn't happen Hi this is Saif from Wexford, I can really relate to the topic. I didn't seek help until I was 38. I have a blood disorder and this really impacted my sporting career in camogie and swimming. And it was something that I could have gotten help for sooner, only I didn't know as people weren't talking about it. Um, So I just urge people to seek help when they need it. This is Matthew Toomey from the Cork Senior Camogie Team. I suppose on reflection, after losing the All-Ireland, um, you're, you're looking at everything yourself, especially then where you can improve in the performance. I'm lucky I've cleaned the sergeants, part of the management team, and after the game I was just asking her about the cycling period and the, with the players and performance, and, and she said it's an open minefield. Um, there's a lot of questions, I suppose, that we need to really seriously look at ourselves and, and see where we can help them, because like, are, are we putting the players at injury risk? by pushing them to a hair at that time. Like I know 
from my home, I have four daughters. I can see when they're drained or when they're cranky or anything like that. And when we go out in the field, we, we take no notice of that and we just push them as hard as we can to get the best performance out of them. And maybe the opposite should be done. So we're just very open to getting the best advice we can on all this. E Radio 1. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now with me in studio is Dr Katie Lydon. We have been listening to Orna and to Matt and in addition to you being a researcher with Sport Ireland, Katie, you've worked as a doctor with teams including the Dublin Senior Ladies Football Team. Now, during the show we've actually got in another voice note which is quite similar to Orna's story. So before we go into the medical significance of losing your period, let's have a listen to this. Hi Anna, Gemma here. Um, with, with menstruation in sport, we train for um, endurance events and triathlon and when we're going through our heavy training loads on the run-up to events, our menstrual cycles could disappear for months on end. It's quite common within our within the group that we train with, but just wondering, would your panel have any, any reasons for why it's happening? We just put it down to the stress you're putting our bodies through when we're going through these training loads. So, Katie, this this seems to be a problem for a lot of women and they just don't discuss it. Hi, Anna. Th- thanks very much for having me on. This is a huge problem, I think, and it's really becoming to the fore as we talk about this more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, just going back to that, that voice note that came in, I think that... Um, People end up, women end up losing their periods due to a lack of energy availability. So we've got a thing called RED, so relative energy deficiency in sport, which is a culmination of women losing their periods, uh, as Matt alluded to earlier on, increased risk of stress fractures um, and then reduced fuel intake. So they're just not fueling their bodies properly. So our bodies are, you know, we breathe, we sleep, we work, um, we train. And the last thing we do is we menstruate. So if we don't have enough energy for that, then we lose the ability to menstruate. So almost like we prioritise everything else and then menstruation comes last. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. That that's that's the way it, it your body functions. So if you just don't have that energy, then you're not going to have enough energy to menstruate. Um, so uh, and I know Matt alluded to it earlier on, like it's it's really important feedback mechanism, which fortunately women have. I know men, you know, were talking about libido earlier on. It's becoming more and more talked about topic and um, but definitely for women we've got a, a hugely significant feedback mechanism I and mean, I know women really struggle with periods most women hate getting it every month etc but the sign of getting a period is a huge sign that your body is functioning optimally. And from a medical standpoint then much like Orna if you are someone in that similar position what is the first place to start to try and get your period back on track? From from that point of view, I guess if you're training excessively is really to, to, to look at your training load and pull back a little bit. So if you have more energy out than what you're fueling into your body, um, you really need to, to look at that and, and say, listen, I can't continue with this training load. We need to pull back. We need to reevaluate things. And that's where talking to your coach, talking to nutritionists is really, really important. And obviously at the end of the day, you know, your GP is always there to listen as well. And, you know, there are some people listening that aren't elite athletes or aren't excessively training and may have lost their periods. So are there other reasons for losing your period? Well, pregnancy being one, I guess. (laughs) An important thing to to rule out. Um, In general, stress or things that that affect it? Absolutely. Like stress is is huge. Like it's it's like the stress of not having enough energy. Mm -hmm. Stress has manifests in a number of different ways in the body. And and certainly losing uh, the ability to menstruate regularly can be a manifestation of that. Um, But I, I would say to anyone that's out there that, you know, is worried about their period to talk to someone. 
But in the first instance, I'd ask all women out there to start tracking their periods. I think it's it's vital. There's loads of apps out there. You just say, you know, period started day one. Maybe, you know, if you're using sanitary towels or tampons, that you record how many you're using on day one, day two, day three. So you can see how heavy the flow is. Oh, really? I know we're really specific. getting into okay. the intricacies of it all. Um, and then you, you follow that. So you keep tracking for months and months and, and you get a general idea or sense of how your normal periods are. So therefore, if you're going on periods of stress, etc., um, you can look back and go, well, you know, my period was normal say six months ago what has changed to yeah, alter so you're almost it. like identifying patterns then and, correct and, and tying it in with your life or with your training load or whatever it is absolutely it's really interesting and that works well and you know in, in athletes that are competing now not everyone competes mm-hmm. um to high levels etc but it's a really good tool to say you know i've got an all-ireland final in a year's time am i going to be on my period at the time what can we do to alleviate any symptoms that i may have be that you know excessive pain which we would allude to as dysmenorrhea um are there medications that I can take in the days preceding that or indeed is there medication I can take to delay my period and these are options that are available to all individuals um, and again it's just about talking about it. And I suppose speaking of medications often the antidote to heavy periods and particularly if you are involved in performance is just being put on the pill and I suppose there's a lot of people that would be in favour of that but are there things that people need to be aware of when being put on the pill because you know the pill ultimately it's a contraceptive tool it's not necessarily designed for PMS Absolutely and I think that's key so the pill is designed primarily as a contraceptive not to manage a lot of the Mm -hmm. issues or irregularities we have with our period the pill is also one form of contraception there's loads more you've got the implant you've got coils you've patches you've injections there's loads out there but ultimately what they do is they regulate you in terms of a contraception so if you've got uh, issues with regards to your period you know and you've got say bloating you've got lots of pain you know it's a real pro-inflammatory response it's a great feedback in what have you done to your body in the month preceding that you know have you been out partying too much was that your diet not optimal and it's your body's way of reflecting what has you've done or given to it over the months preceding and I actually read somewhere that eating anti-inflammatory foods can actually be really good is that right? So so we do a bit of research in in Sport Ireland at the moment onto the effect of omega-3 fatty acids so omega-3 fatty acids is very much anti-inflammatory whereas your period pain is largely associated with a a high omega-6 fatty acid so it's real pro-inflammatory so you want the anti-inflammatory effect of the omega-3 to counteract fortunately they're the same receptor flood the system with omega-3 therefore you reduce all the inflammation like this is brilliant whether you're a coach a manager a parent of of younger girls or indeed an athlete or someone that likes to keep fit knowing this stuff can really help and in fairness a lot of people are really open to having the conversation they understand you know there is this was a sensitivity around it but we've been getting some voice notes in so take a listen to these hi anna it's sarah here from dublin when i was about playing football probably about under 14s i always suffered from very heavy periods um, and our football team had white shorts at the time so um we were traveling from the north side of dublin right down to the south side through rush hour traffic And by the time I got to the pitch, my period had leaked and destroyed my white shorts under my trousers. So I had to pretend then that I had forgot my shorts and played the game in a pair of tracksuit bottoms. 
after, not this incident, but after discussion with the girls on the football team, the management decided to change the shorts to green, dark green shorts to match the jerseys. But really, it didn't really help. If you did have a leak at all with a heavy period, it still just showed up as big dark patches on your shorts. So I don't know if there's any way around it. Hey, I'm Brian Keane from Brian Keane Fitness, qualified strength and conditioning coach and certified sports nutritionist. When it comes to female athletes and their menstrual cycle, it's very important to understand that women are not small men, meaning that the hormonal changes that will occur during the month will impact performance. Now, this is still an area that I'm definitely not the best person to speak on, but a very an area that I'm very curious to educate myself on as someone who works with a lot of female athletes and has a daughter who's playing sport. And I think opening up the dialogue in this conversation around sports nutrition and around training for females and their cycle is something that definitely needs to be normalized over the coming years. Hi, Anna, it's Orla from Dublin here. I think this is a great topic to cover and it's really important to be open and honest around this topic, I suppose. For me, I love to train, but I do find that at least once or twice a month I can't and I obviously find that really disappointing and it's directly due to either lack of sleep or bloating or pain around the time of my period. So I just wanted to share that and love the show. Thanks. So there's lots of messages coming in instantly when you heard the white shorts, Katie, you were, you were, I suppose, like your interest was piqued. Is that something that you feel strongly about? Uh, yeah, hugely. So if, if I was the minister for, for periods and menstrual cycle, I think I'd ban white shorts. Um, I just think it's so unfair to expect young women to, to go out in white shorts week after week. Um, you know, women are very, so you know, conscious of it. If they're mm-hmm. if they're having a period, they're more likely to to make excuses and not go to the match, not go to training. And then ultimately what that leads to is a, a dropout from sport. So you, you see that across all areas, all different sports, you know, 16 year old girls that just just fade away from sport. And I think that's if we can change one thing. So if we can get all, you know, coaches and teams and management and um club at club level to just have that conversation about it but the you know sometimes the arguments back are you know oh that's always been the club colours you know Let's, yeah, that's not enough for a reason it. if, if people are actually not. dropping out of sport. And actually, we'll go back to Orna here now for a moment because, you know, the barriers to, to sport and engaging in exercise and sport are huge for women and particularly for younger women and, and teenagers. So Orna, tell us a little bit about Move to Be because you want to discuss periods everywhere across the country. <laughs> yeah, so me and my sister Neve set up Move to Be at the start of 2020 and it's essentially just advocacy for menstrual cycle educating and supporting women to be physically active. We just wanted to talk about the hidden barriers that some young women face that actually prevent them from just enjoying sport yeah. to the to the most. So like we, we're talking about some of the physical barriers. Other physical barriers are things like not having proper fitting sports bras. It's like not having bins and toilets. Mm-hmm. It's not having like pads and tampons and first aid boxes, like all really easy physical things that are such easy wins. And then we also talk about like the social barriers. So <clears throat> there are things like everyone's going to have a different menstrual cycle. So sometimes you're... Um, your experience is going to be very different to your friends. And sometimes when there's not a lot of conversation around that, um, you can feel like there's something wrong with you or young women can feel like that. Or, you know, people say, oh, periods last five days. And that's not actually yeah. true for everybody. And So and they I- might only bring it up 
pads and tampons for five days if they're going on a trip. Um, and, and then it's actually longer. So all these things, when you don't talk about them, can actually just, you know, be, be factors that, that lead to, to young women actually dropping out of sport, like Katie said. Yeah, and I think, I mean, having listened to all three of you now, the big message to the powers that be is we're dealing with a situation where we have women and younger girls dropping out of sport. And the crux of the problem often is things like periods, things like wearing shorts, white shorts, the embarrassment and the stigma attached to the periods, the lack of conversation, the lack of education around male and female coaches and managers. So it's nearly around having an awareness campaign. Would I be right in saying that? Around this is what we need to talk with this till we're blue in the face so that it's not a thing anymore and it's just normalised. Yeah, and, and then almost in a way like reframing it. It's just like you have you have a menstrual cycle. You're not just on like you're not just on your period or off your period. Like there's different things happening throughout the whole menstrual cycle. And we never give it any credit for, you know, feeling good, for good, for an indicator for good health, you know, feeling confident at other times of the month. We only focus, I suppose, on the challenges that happen around the time of menstruation. Yeah. And if there's one thing that we would love at Move to Be is just to like offer a different narrative that like you can actually enjoy working with your body. It can be a really good thing. And that once you kind of have these tools and education and support, you know, there'll be a time where it's just very normal to talk about tracking. You know, I'm on my day 12. I'm feeling great today. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to training. Like, you know, like, to, be, to be honest, I mean, we've ran out of time, but I could talk about this for so long. I think we, we need to do another show again because there's so many talking points around it. But to Orna, to Matt and to Katie, thank you so much for your honesty and for your willingness to start this conversation. We'll have to get you back again. Join us after this. So last Sunday, Hugh Hick dug up plenty of health stories from around the world, from coffee call-outs to tinnitus tricks. And he's back with us now to tell us what's been making the headlines on the web this week. So what have you got for us, Hugh? Well, would you believe it, Anna? Oh, I love when somebody starts a sentence with that. <laughs> I've got, I, I, we, we obviously yeah, talked about the tinnitus last week mm-hmm. and I thought, God, is it possible that there could be another social media trend that could just transform our lives this week? And it turns out there is. Oh, well, tell me more. Watch, watch this space, I guess. Well, well, um, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a deviated septum, but um, it turns out that a few, quite a lot of people actually have it, that uh, the septum is that uh, piece of your nose in the centre. And we kind of assume that it's dead centre or whatever. But for a lot of people, it actually mm-hmm. goes to either one side or the other. No way. And a lot of people don't even know this. But what's been going on... I feel on, like I need a mirror to check my own right now. <laughs> it looks fine to me. Now. Oh, thanks. Oh, you but, have to say that. <laughs> but um, no, apparently... What's been going around TikTok is a way to check it. So if you kind of grasp your nose, the side of your nose, and this sounds a little gross, but pull it out a little bit and take a deep, uh, deep breath in, yeah. um, you can you can get a sense of that because people have been doing this and they're like, oh my goodness, it's like I'm breathing for the first time in my life because they didn't even know it. But um, yeah, apparently it's extremely common. Wow. I No, I can't say I've never tried that before, but I, I'm going to try it this evening in, in, in the privacy of my own home. Well, this, this might be a little one, a, a little bit of a simpler one to try out. You've, uh, I'm sure heard of the 10,000 steps a day rule. Yes. My mum goes absolutely ape for it. It's like she, <laughs> she loves it. She's always going on about the 10,000 steps a day rule. But a new study says that apparently uh, what's almost as important as that, or perhaps more important, is how quickly you walk. Mm-hmm. Um, because the 10,000 steps a day rule, it originated as a Japanese marketing uh, platform and and there's always been conversations about it. But it looks as though uh, while there's definitely, 
a lot to be said about walking a good distance. What's as important is getting the heart rate up. You want you want a nice uh, high heart rate. And uh, they've actually measured this now and they've done the science for it. And it appears that uh, 5,000 steps is good. But if you do it at a really good, brisk pace, that is what's going to be, yeah. that's gonna be the, the, the good spot for and your And that's heart. nearly a bit of a relief for people. So if you can't hit the 10,000 steps, maybe you don't have the time, it's better off to do 5,000, but do them at a brisk pace rather than going for the 10 and maybe scrolling on your phone at the same time or, you know, like maybe, you know, there's difference between a walk and a stroll. Like think about you're the killing kill the scully women back in, in the RT show years. They were going at pace, so maybe that's the, no, no, the no. kind of attitude we all need to have. You're, you're, all... s- you're speaking my language, Anna. It's always quality <laughs> over quantity, as my yes. mommy always said. Brilliant. Um, and while we're on the theme of walking, this next one has made me really popular with my friends' uh, WhatsApp group uh, because they've all become parents recently, mm-hmm. or a lot of them have. And the one question is, how do I get my little darling to stop crying? Yes. And um, it's a tale as old as time, but they've actually found a good way to do it. And it appears that uh, the really good way to do it is to pick up your uh, darling for about five minutes and walk slowly around the room with them uh, because it's the motion that's important. Ah. A lot of people think that maybe sitting down and cradling them or putting them in a cot is the best way to do it. But what they found is actually a little bit of motion and just walking around the room uh, goes a long way and do it for about five minutes because that's the kind of sweet spot in terms of getting them into that nice place and sleep. And then just gently putting them into the cot there and they reckon that part of that goes back to our animalistic instincts and a lot of animals do that to soothe their young they pick them up and oh, you know, wow. yeah so you can guarantee that there's going to be a lot of parents particularly of, of young kids right now and like you know especially newborn parents are maybe lacking in sleep I can just imagine right now they're all up on their feet and they're all moving around to try and get that little bit of a break so that's a it's a very interesting one again let us know if you try these we would love to know email us at supercharged at rte.ie what is next for us Hugh? Well, I'm getting very excited about walnuts this week, Anna. Because uh, <laughs> that's not a sentence I ever thought I was going to hear you say. <laughs> you know what, what is not to be excited about walnuts? But now there's another uh, reason for fans in the audience because a two-year uh, trial has shown that there is definite benefits uh, to cardiovascular health um, mm-hmm. uh, to eating walnuts, and you know you don't even have to add the extra pounds. But uh, there are some caveats to this. Okay. Uh, so before you run off to the supermarket and get a big family-sized bag of walnuts, <laughs> uh, just do be aware um, it, there is some evidence. Uh, that it does lower uh, lower levels of those harmful blood lipids that kind of affect your cardiovascular yeah. health. But they are small mm. and it's not a reason to necessarily um, make them the sole beneficiary of your diet. As part of a balanced diet. Yes, it's all about the balance. I'm all about that too. So okay, what else is for us? A, f- a few freebies? We know me, Anna. They say that uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch and I've spent my life trying to prove them wrong. <laughs> and I think I found the perfect one this week because the HSC has announced a free online stress management course. Ooh. And there are six webinars including controlling your thoughts and panicky feelings and uh, there are free buckets to download them as well for a bit of reading material on the bus so to check that out for more information uh, stresscontrol.ie and we actually covered stress as well in the first series of Supercharge you can listen back to that on the Radio Player app and everybody always loves a little bit of help when it comes to managing stress so that's a great one and so speaking about free things we can't ignore the big news this week there was free contraception becoming available for women between the ages of 17 and 29 but there has been a lot of reaction online 
decline, hasn't there? Yeah, it did. And as you'd expect, a lot has been really, really positive. It's it's a big week for people and a lot of people taking the opportunity to reflect over the progress that's been made uh, over the last half century because it has been just over 50 years since, of course, the contraception train. So this happening now has been a perfect time for that. Uh, of course, a lot of people are saying it's a great first step or we can go further and there's a lot more we can go, but it is a great first step. Yeah, there's a lot of talk online. You can check that out. That is another big week of news. Hugh Hick, thank you so much for joining us in the studio. Thank you, Anna. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. So last week in the show, we shared a technique that was going around Twitter that seemed to be giving relief to sufferers of tinnitus. So we thought it might be nice actually to explore a little bit further and more general tips to look after your hearing. So joining me now in studio is audiologist Marinay Brennan of Beacon Audiology. Marinay, thank you so much for joining us in Supercharge. What are your top tips for ear health? Right. So I guess the most important tip it will be just that there's a, a strong correlation between cognitive health and hearing loss. So it's very, very important for people to get, especially for elderly people, but I would almost say starting from the 50s onwards, just to get a good baseline audiogram. Because usually from 50s onwards, especially if there's a family history of hearing loss, might be a little bit of wear and tear of the auditory system. So it's good to get a baseline of, 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 of your hearing done. Just because we know that Cognitive health is so important and that's why it's good just to get your baseline checked. So if there is hearing loss, so we can get early, intervene early with hearing aids and hearing aid management. And I would imagine if you have a baseline, then you can almost measure against that. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. And for some people will say, okay, you have a good baseline now. We can see you again in two years time and then we can monitor again and see when do we have to start intervening with hearing aids. Okay, I'm going to ask it because I've seen a lot of people use them. Earbuds, yes or no? Big no, no, absolute big no, no. So uh, we always say nothing larger than your elbow going into your ear, which basically means nothing going into your ear. So the best way just to to clean your ears is just with um, uh, either just a tissue or just a a face cloth, just to clean your ears that way. But leave your ears alone. Do not go near it with a cotton bud. Yeah, because you're you're almost like pushing the wax in. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. You can irritate the ear canal. And like you say, you can push the wax deeper into the ear canal, making and leaving like a wall of wax in that has to be professionally managed. I've seen people as well also use like some like heated oil like and putting in their ears. Yes or no to that? So for that, if there is wax occlusion, we always recommend for people to actually use sterile olive oil and oh. that's just to use it as you soften the, the, the ear wax. Yeah. Sometimes about eight out of ten times the wax will then naturally leave the ear canal. Other times they have to come back to an audiologist just to get it professionally seen to. See, my granny is a wise woman. I've seen her do that. Olive oil, sterile olive oil is always good. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit now about noise exposure Mm because we're exposed to so much noise. What are the, the do's and don'ts? So do's and don'ts, just looking at most um, uh, phones, smartphones, they are smart in the fact that it can manage the, the amount of output mm-hmm. and over time it actually reduces the volume automatically. Um, but just any prolonged exposure to loud noises can have a detrimental effect to your hearing. So over-the-ear headphones is really important. Um, we would be against in, in, in the ear earbuds. That was my next question. Yes, is like, yes, What about yes, the ones yes. that slot into your ears? Yeah, so we actually prefer over-the-ear headphones and I know 
at the moment, um, you know, there's a lot of evidence even looking at bone conduction hearing aid, uh, bone conduction um, earphones, um, and purely just from a safety point of view. So you can still hear everyday sort of sounds um, from from just around you while you're enjoying your music. I definitely need to be chucking out mine. So what about then tips for parents that, you know, what they should be on the lookout with their children? So um, if you have any concerns about, say, maybe your child's speech language or speech language development and you're looking to seek the health of a speech language therapist, I would always say it's good advice just to go and see an audiologist first and foremost, just to make sure that there's no fluid or congestion in the middle ear cavity. Um, so that will be the first protocol. Um, other sort of tips also just to even look out for signs of potential hearing loss in children, and that will be more fluid related hearing loss, like congestion, when children are sitting to close to the television. Mm Maybe they're doing lip reading, they're asking her or what. Um, in the past, they may have responded or ran into the room when they heard the Peppa Pig theme tune <laughs> and suddenly they're not doing that anymore. For that, it's really important okay. just to get the, the ears checked because these station tubes, and, and especially in young children, are quite narrow and they have, they, they, they're prone to get blocked, especially if there's nasal congestion, which is the next tip, yeah. encouraging children just to blow their noses. Okay, so, so that's very Blowing important. your nose, being aware of it, throwing out the ear buds and That's getting the over the ear headphones there you there go there you go Marinette Brennan thank you so much for joining us I'll have to put those tips to good effect myself Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1 now it's the time of the week for the challenge last week it was about brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand for brain health and this week I wanted to make it a little bit of a nutrition element when it comes to health and well-being so we are actually meant believe it or not to consume up to 30 different fruit and vegetables every week for a healthier gut microbiome and to just make sure we're getting the dietary fibre and the key nutrients. 30, yeah, three zero. Now, I would be lucky if I get about five or six different fruits and vegetables. They're on rotation. The same ones go into my basket every week. And I'm with you. I need to widen it out. So my challenge this week is for all of us to go into the supermarket and buy one new fruit and one new vegetable that you normally wouldn't eat and try them out. Make it a bit fun at home. Maybe get the family involved. Do a blindfold test. Try to even identify what the fruit or the vegetable is. But we do need to widen out the fruit and vegetables that we are consuming. So whether it's pears, maybe almond for a source of fibre, your leafy greens to get all your vitamins, your A, your C, your vitamin K, whatever it is, pomegranates, peppers, you choose just one new fruit and one new vegetable. Tag us in your stories. I'm on Instagram at Anna G Cork or you can email us at supercharged at rte.e. Let us know what you chose and how you got on. So that's it. It's been a very busy show, uh, but it's been jam-packed with information and tips and advice. And you can listen back to the show on rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the RTE radio player app. My thanks to my supercharged team. They're brilliant. They always keep me on my toes and keep me on the straight and narrow. And of course, to each and every one of you for your voice notes and your texts and your emails. Keep in touch with us. Let us know what you would like us to be talking and supercharged about. Supercharged at rte.ie or get on to me on Instagram at Anna G. Cork. Let us know because we want to hear from you. But for now, mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1.